Coming up this hour, we're going to learn from a priest, a pastor, and an expert in grief. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Maybe the best day weather-wise you've had in quite some time. My goodness. I'm told, I mean, I'm in a basement right now, <laughs> no windows, but I'm told via the magic of social media that people are enjoying being out in their backyards, at least right now. So uh, hopefully you get a chance to enjoy the sunlight a little bit today. But if you want to find us, you can find us either sunbathing or on Facebook at the Common mm-hmm. Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is to get your podcasts, if you wouldn't mind. A little subscribe rate review does really help us out a whole lot. And you can maybe even just share it with a friend. You know, a lot of people are looking for podcast suggestions right now. And uh, every little share helps. Brian Fromm, how are you doing today so far? It is a beautiful day outside. I took a break from work. My son and I have created a wiffle ball league in our backyard. I heard about this. Yes. And uh, today was opening day. And I'm sad to report that I lost opening day today. So, uh yeah, I'm going to have to lick my wounds and get back at it tomorrow. But these are the things we do when we're locked in our houses. You know, we have like I'm really sorry to hear that. I've been on Zoom calls since 8 a.m. this morning. So oh, I was like, I'm going to go take lunch. And while I'm eating, I'm going to eat a quick lunch and we're going to get a wiffle ball game in. So my, <laughs> it sounds like my day was better than yours. I did enjoy the sunshine. It's beautiful outside today. It does make a big difference as we're all home and stuff like that. It makes a big difference to be able to be outside. I definitely would take a wiffle ball loss yes. versus being in a basement all day. But, uh, you know. Although the first pitch of the game, first pitch of the season, he hit me in the head. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't accidental. We talked I about that. I don't think it was. I think that was a message for the year there. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> very subliminal, very subtle. All right. So there's a, an article out of Christianity Today. I saw a whole bunch of people posting last night, last night, last night, mm-hmm. and trying to talk at the same time. Uh, it says, not even the gates of a hellish pandemic will prevail over God's church. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on here? Yeah, the author's name is Esau Macaulay. And, uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of personal stuff in the beginning. But let me read you the two paragraphs that jumped out to you. He talks a lot about the book of Ezekiel and the dry bones and or the dead bones and, and what's God going to do. But let me just read these two paragraphs. because I think these are the, the money paragraphs of it. It says, the somber season of Lent seems perfectly suited to the moment. This is a time of national lament. But as we turn the corner toward Easter, dare we say more? Dare we speak of joy and resurrection in a world that feels like it's in the shadow of death? Hmm. If the prophets of the Old Testament have anything to teach us, it's that precisely in the darkest moments of our history, we need divinely inspired and freshly articulated Hope. I read that and I was like, man, that is so good because I, you probably feel it as a pastor. It feels appropriate to talk about Lent and lament and Good Friday. But when you get to how joyful Easter usually is, I don't know if you've thought that, like, should we be as joyful this year? Like, is there, should we tone it down a little bit? And hmm. Macaulay here is being like, this is precisely the time that we need the hope and the joy of the resurrection. Yeah, I wonder too if you see hope and joy as synonymous in that regard. Like, is there a possibility for the full expression of hope while maybe the external excitement is more damper than previous years? Like, is there any kind of sliding scale there for you in your mind as a pastor? I think there is, especially when you use the phrase uh, external uh, excitement. Like, usually, 
you know, Easter, you get up and you're like, this is our Super Bowl. And it's it's usually pretty loud and, you know, really boisterous. In some senses, we don't even some of us don't have those capabilities right now. But mm-hmm. also it feels like a bit much like it does feel like like you, you I think you used a good phrase, external excitement. It feels to me like that can be uh, uh, kind of muted a little bit without taking away from the great hope and joy of the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. I don't think we have to make any apologies for hope, right. uh, for hopefulness and for joy that's that's in Christ. I do think there's probably wisdom uh, in in, you know, how it's packaged this Sunday. And as we move yeah. forward, like you don't want to be like, oh, everything's great. Let's just go crazy. You know, I think there is something about the packaging that certainly requires some thought. Well, yeah. And it requires, I think, a sensitivity and an awareness of where people are actually at, you know, which churches historically yeah. um, have in some areas really struggled with, you know, the the emphasis on the show must go on, you know, and I think yeah. sometimes, yeah. like I love what he says here. He says in the black church tradition, the spirituals and hymns that look to a greater future have power precisely because they're written when we weren't yet free. Those mm. songs were a prophecy written in the blood of our foremothers and forefathers declaring that God had a better future for us. Maybe not now, but someday it seems then that the height of the COVID-19 pandemic is precisely the time to speak about hope rooted in God's promises. These promises are not about the American economy. God has made no guarantees in that regard, he has not guaranteed that all of us will survive. We will not. What then has he promised that not even the gates of hell will prevail over the church? I don't know what the future of Christianity holds in the weeks and months to come. I do know, however, that the church will not be overcome by a virus. I know mm. this is not the end. And I know that we will, in fact, worship together again. Like mm. this, this is an article that'll preach. There's a whole lot more going on. Let me just yes. kind of read how he wraps it up because I think it's powerful. He says the celebration of Easter tells us what lies on the other side of COVID-19 and on the other side of all of our trials, life with God. This message is necessary, not because we're stumbling toward Easter Sunday as a scattered and beleaguered people of God. It is necessary because the truth of the gospel shines most brightly in dark times. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome at this Easter it doesn't matter if we can't be together in our local churches. We can still shout as one people, Alleluia, Christ is risen. God hears our triumphant cries, no matter how hampered they are by fears or unemployment, sickness, and death. Satan and all the powers of evil hear them too and tremble. Even if we are chained to our homes, the gospel remains free and continues to do its work. Mm-hmm. Nothing, not even a pandemic can change that. I thought, I thought that really preached, man. Absolutely. Like so powerfully. Sometimes you and I do articles and we read a little bit and then just talk. And other times you're like, I can't do better than just reading what this person wrote. Right. Uh, And so Esau Macaulay here, I'm reading the bottom as a priest in the Anglican church in North American assistant professor of new Testament at Wheaton. Uh, And so wraps up so perfectly what many of us are feeling, right? Like uh, it's, you know, it's Easter and there's hope uh, the empty tomb and, uh, you know, a lot of us are going to preach messages about uh, death being defeated, but yet it's, it's surrounding us in our here and now. And, man, I just love that, that even though we're chained to our home, the gospel remains free and continues to do its work. Nothing can change that, not even a pandemic. Putting words to what I think many of us are feeling, and I think this has to be the hope of the church. Uh, this has to be the message of the church, of 
Yeah, things look different right now, but at our foundation, what brings us together, what holds us together uh, is still living and active and nothing will change that. So how, how do you as a pastor navigate with holding that theological truth at the center of all that you do while still living into some level of pastoral shepherding sensitivity about the very real like pain and grief that people in your church are feeling or people listening online are feeling like, how do you, how do you thread that needle? Yeah, for me, uh, there's always been that very helpful theological idea of, of uh, that we're in the already not yet, right? That, that Jesus has already won the victory. That's what we're celebrating this week, but it is not yet, you know, fully realized we're still in the midst of this broken world. And I think being reminded of that and being reminded that he's still present as we struggle. Uh, so I don't think, I think it's unfair and unhelpful uh, to minimize the pain that's going on around us right now. Like, Oh, God's already won the victory in Christ. So don't worry about it. No, this is really hard. And I think walking through people, walking through this with people, the way we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is important while pointing them to the ultimate victory uh, that is, that is found in the empty tomb. I think, I think holding those both as truth, I think becomes really important. Like you said, as we shepherd people. I, and I think that is a, a, a tension to hold rather than like a, a, a problem to solve. And I think Good that point. that's probably where in times like this, some of us are most tempted to just go into problem solving mode, which we need, right? We need strategy. We need mission. We need mobilization in some cases. And I think in a lot of ways, tragedy has a way of sort of elevating that. Like sometimes it's just a messy gray space. It's a tension that we hold. And as pastors, as friends, as just humans, uh, I think that is really important that we hold Absolutely. those two things. Well, coming up next, we're going to hear from Father James Martin, uh, who shared some thoughts with regards to this cultural moment that we're in right now that I thought were really wise and really timely. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. We're so grateful for all of you and all the ways that you engage with us and the show. And there's a guy named Father James Martin who uh, recorded a podcast, and he's got a, he's got a lot of really, really uh, insightful things to share, particularly in the time of coronavirus. And he has one episode that's simply called God in the Time of Coronavirus. I wanted to play a little bit of that, and then uh, Brian and I will react. You're a, uh, a person of faith, a person of God. Uh, and of course, when something like this, this coronavirus happens, you're among the first people uh, that get called and get asked questions. It sounds like it's hard to have any answers at a time like this. So how really do you answer people? Well, I think the most honest answer is about why this is happening is we don't know. And I think it's important to admit that. But for the Christian, there are also uh, other perspectives, which is, for example, that uh, Jesus Christ uh, accompanies us uh, in all of this. I mean, Jesus, uh, you know, was and is fully human and fully divine. We tend to forget about the the human part, that he entered into a world of illness and he knew illness. And many, if not most of his miracles were healing people from illnesses. And, uh, you know, at the at the death of his friend Lazarus, he cries. So he knows about grieving. So he accompanies us. And I often tell people when you're praying to Jesus, you're praying to someone who understands you not only because he's divine and knows all things, but because he's human and experienced all these things, in, including illness. 
when you think about uh, about the very difficult times that people are now having and through history have had, how has God helped them? How has God helped us in these times right now? Well, I think that um, one of the insights is that God is working through us, through individuals. And one of the ways that God works through us is, is by moving us to compassion. And so you see it in the compassionate doctors and nurses and healthcare workers, technicians, you see it, uh, Pope Francis uh, recently uh, talked about the hidden people who are helping. For example, grocery clerks and people who are working in transport, right? People who are running the, um, the subways and the buses and, and helping us that way. And, and I think one way that God works is by moving people's hearts and, and moving them to be compassionate and moving them to help people. And, and so that's where I think we can see God in the crisis. We can see it in the loving, merciful and compassionate responses of people around us. Well, maybe you're answering uh, my next question, but my next question is really, can any good have come out of some of this really tough stuff that happens to people in a crisis and in terrible times of death and uh, and pandemic? Well, I don't even think it's a question. I think good things are coming out of it as horrible as it is and as filled with illness and suffering as death as it is. There are some things that are coming out. One of them is this witness of especially the healthcare professionals who are putting their lives on the line. And I often think that uh, you know, God is kind of offering us a new parable um, about how much God loves us. How much does God love us? God loves us as much as the doctor who risks his or her life to to care for someone, you know, even when he or she is not going to be protected completely from infection. Um, and so we're already seeing this and we're seeing this in terms of families and friends coming together and focusing on what's important. Right. Love and mercy and compassion and and, and tenderness with one another. I think it's helping us reorient things. I don't think that's why it's happening. I don't think God, you know, makes this thing happen so we can have these insights. But I think it's important for us to have these insights. Jim, we know there are many stories of wonderful good coming out of terrible tragedy, but there's also bad that happens. I got on very reliable authority the story of uh, uh, protective equipment that had been stored um, in, a, uh, in a place for nurses who take care of the dying. And all of the masks, all of the protective gear were found to be stolen the next day and taken away from these people who desperately need it. How do you explain that? It has. It's always been the bad and the good together. But hearing stories like that, even hearing that story is shocking. Uh, and, and knowing that people would do that uh, and, and risking other people's lives, basically for money. I assume whoever stole it would sell those things for money. It, it's still shocking. But yes, there's always going to be uh, human evil in the world. Uh, interestingly, I think sometimes what's called moral evil, which is that that kind of evil, the kind of suffering that's brought about by people's individual decisions or actions, like like that person who stole uh, those supplies, is sometimes easier for people to understand than what's called natural evil, right? So illnesses and disease, this pandemic, um, a child dying of cancer, hundreds of people dying from a tornado or a hurricane. I think people have more trouble understanding the, the sort of immensity of natural suffering and moral suffering, I think, is often better understood by people, or at least, you know, they can grasp it. They can grasp that this person is evil or this person is wicked making these decisions, but they have a harder time understanding, again, how God could, you know, let these, uh, let the pandemic happen. 
During this time, uh, you have a unique position, not only being a well-known uh, Catholic priest, but also in uh, close relationship with the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Um, he seems as though he has been treating this worldwide crisis with great care and insight. Would you care to talk about that a bit? I think the Pope has been acting like the world's pastor uh, in the absence of so many people being able to go to Mass. I think they can look to him. And frankly, I I don't think he's put a foot wrong uh, in terms of his pastoral outreach during this crisis. And I thought especially his prayer um, the other day um, in Vatican City in front of an empty St. Peter's Square. He invited us to look at the gospel reading where the disciples are um, in the midst of a storm at sea and are worried and feel that Jesus has abandoned them, uh, was masterful. He talked about Jesus being there and inviting Jesus into our boats. I thought it was a great image um, that he used. So I think he's been doing a great job, and I, I, I myself am moved by, by his witness and also his words. Now, you and your brother Jesuits are living in New York City, the heart of the uh, pandemic in America right now, maybe the world. Uh, how are you personally reacting to all this? What are you doing? How are you how are you getting on? Well, you're right. I live with 12 other Jesuits in a fairly small house in New York City. So we have uh, basically we're doing things for ourselves. Um, we're cooking and cleaning and taking care of one another. So far, none of us are sick. For myself, in addition to doing a lot of things um, via social media and over the phone, trying to counsel people, I'm also trying to be a good person and not cough on anyone and maintain social distance and wash my hands and be careful around my Jesuit brothers. So pretty much what anyone in a, you might call a large family would be doing right now. Okay. So Brian, hearing that, what, what did you think? What stood out to you? Oh man, that there's, it was what we were just talking about last segment, that there's always going to be human evil in the world. Uh, but at the same time, that really helpful point that praying that when we pray, we are praying to someone who not only hears you, but understands you. And I think that that thought process that God, uh, that our heavenly father understands us, I think draws us more deeply into prayer. Like, okay, uh, then I will pray. And uh, that was really helpful for me. How about for you? You know, it's interesting to me that it, it feels like our God experiencing grief is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique. Not that there aren't any other like global deities that don't claim the same kind of thing, but it seems so central in so many cases to the biblical narrative that, that God doesn't, he doesn't grieve as some sort of like, you know, vapid act of solidarity, but that in Jesus, he actually experiences these things, experiences even things like, you know, fatigue, but also most certainly sadness and grief. And I just think remembering that in this time when so many of us are feeling so many of those emotions so intensely, yeah. um, I find a lot of, a lot of comfort in that because at the very least, I, I, I imagine it would be tough to try and pray to a God that you felt like, ah, oh, you don't understand it all. Like you yes. don't, you don't get it. And I think it's why, I think it's why the biblical writers make such a point of it that we don't have a high priest who is unsympathetic that hasn't experienced you know, the same type of pain and grief that many of us are experiencing. So I, I hope that was helpful. Yeah. We can link to the whole thing if you want to listen to all of it, but I think it's really, really wise and uh, just a timely, timely word for all of us. Coming up next, a friend of the show, Daniel Yang, who is the director of the Send Institute, uh, has written some, some words and shared some audio with us uh, to share with you all. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, and I encourage you to check us out, you can go to the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and audio links, but it is also where you can send us a message. You can make recommendations if there's an article or an idea or a topic. Plus, there's some really lively discussion going on in some of these articles. There really is. We, we love that. We would love for that to be a place for us to kind of you know meet and disagree sometimes and argue and dialogue. And so all that happens at the Facebook page. You can also find us at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does really, actually, truthfully, hand on my heart, help us out. So if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing or liking or subscribing or any of that, that really does help us out. And the guy that um, locally I just so love and appreciate, I just think he's full of wisdom and insight, not only about the current state of the church, but also the future state of the church. Really, really wise guy. His name is uh, Daniel Yang. He recorded some thoughts for us that uh, we're going to hear in a second. But before we do, first, I want to talk to you about Thriving Financial. If you're looking for a Christian-based financial institution, I cannot encourage Thriving enough. I've been a member for over seven years now. And uh, the thing I want to invite you to, though, is that they're also looking for people who maybe are looking for a career change. So you can go to thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just call 630-598-2128. Whether you just want to be your own boss or you're kind of entrepreneurial, I would encourage you to at least check them out because uh, I think they're an incredible organization. And I think you will think the same as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so Daniel Yang, as I said, director of the SEND Institute, Uh, leading and overseeing all of its initiatives. Prior to directing the Institute, he planted a church in Toronto where he helped recruit and assess and train church planners. This guy just like lives, breathes, sleeps, church planning, and rightfully so. He recorded some thoughts with regards to the pandemic and everything we're experiencing. So we're going to listen to that. And then Brian Fromm and I will respond. Hey there, my name is Daniel Yang, and I just want to take a couple of minutes here to encourage you in the moment that you're in, not just this second right now, but in this moment, the moment of pandemic where all of us have to be working in our homes and we have to homeschool our kids and we're putting in long days because it's hard to do both if you're like me. And I'm reminded about the story from uh, Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is telling the parable of the father and his two sons. You know it. You probably call it the prodigal son story. And what's really getting me these days as I think about that passage is it was so hard for the younger brother to come home, for the youngest son to come home. The shame that he had to overcome just to be in the presence of the people that he left. Imagine what it took for him to go back and be in that home. And for some of us, that's our home environment right now. The pandemic has forced us to be in close situations with people that we have tension with, and it's awkward and it's difficult. And for some of you, I just want to encourage you right now that this moment that you're spending, these extra time that you're spending with your children, this extra time that you're spending with your mother and your father, this extra time that you're spending with your sister and your brother, and it's difficult and it's weird and you're not talking in the way that you know you should be talking. This is a gift from God to you. Now, there's some craziness going on in the world. I don't want to neglect the fact that people are sick and people are hurting. But the side effect of this thing is that God has orchestrated for some of us face-to-face situations with the people that should be the most important people in our lives. And he wants to bring healing into that relationship. 
I really do believe that. I really do believe that in these days, while we're shelter in place and we're at home, that it's not just about being bored, but it's about having some difficult conversations so that God can work and bring healing to your family. Maybe you need to buy somebody a gift right now to break the ice. Maybe you're like the father and you say, here, take this ring, take my coat. Maybe you need to prepare a meal and just say, hey, let's have a conversation about how things went down last year, and I know it hurt you. This is the time to do it. I'm praying for you because I really want your families to be healed in this season. And that's exactly what I want to do right now. So, Father, I come to you, and my heart's broken about all the people that are sick and about all the people that have died and about all the jobs that are being lost right now. So will you do something redemptive, would you heal us in our homes while we're sheltered in place? Would you come into the rooms that we're in? Would you bond us closer together as a father turns his heart to his son and the son turns his heart back to his father? And as we come out of this pandemic, may we become stronger families and a stronger light in the community that you've called us to be in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so having uh, met Daniel Yang and knowing yeah. a little bit of his story, uh, what, what did you think of what he had to share? You know, there, as we keep hearing from all of these people, uh, which I've really enjoyed doing, you start to hear certain threads in them. And one of them is that, not that at all that COVID-19 is a gift, but this extra time can be a gift. Yeah. And he touched on that about how we can use this extra time to bring healing where there's tension and have difficult conversations and uh, make come out of this with stronger families or stronger community. I can look at all of this and just see so much loss that, that it's a great reminder for me to be like, Hey, there's this gift of time right now uh, that you can either squander or take advantage of. And none of us like why we have this time, but nonetheless, we have this time. Yeah. And, uh, and so I appreciate how many people, including Daniel, have pointed that out for us because it's easy for me to kind of get to the end of this. Like I loved yesterday when Mark Job said, what are you at the end of this going to wish you had done with your time? Right. Uh, and, and I've really begun kind of leaning into that mindset that these guys and women keep bringing up on the show. So this whole concept of our extra time as opportunity and gift, I think, is something that I really want to hold on to. Yeah, and he, he brought something up that I don't think I've ever actually thought about. It's a pretty famous parable in Luke 15, the, the yep. parable son of the, of the what's the word? I'm the looking prodigal. For? prodigal son. Prodigal. The, the parable son. He's he just only, the son in the parable. <laughs> I think that's what Jesus was called, the parable son. Um, so the story kind of ends with him returning and the father throwing this feast and then having this brief conversation with the older brother. What we're not given, though, is like how strangely tense that must have been in like the days and weeks that follow, right? The older yeah. brother feeling a little slighted and the younger brother being celebrated. And I love the way Yang uses that to talk about, yeah, a lot of people are celebrating all this extra time and man, I get to be with my family, but we cannot forget that there are a lot of people now forced to be in close quarters with people that they have a lot of tension with. That's right. A lot of maybe bitterness or unresolved anger, and I just think that's incredibly pastorally wise to, to also remember, and maybe li you're listening and you're in that space. Maybe you're thinking, yes, I'm one of those people that I'm now under like house arrest with people <laughs> I don't want to spend time with. Man, what, what an important call on his part, I think, to 
to still be present in this and to ask out what, what are you doing in this or how are you forming me in this to have the difficult conversations. You, you have time right now in a way that you've maybe never had before. And uh, I don't know. I was, I was challenged by that and I never really thought about that story that way, but I thought, I thought that was really wise. Yeah, it is interesting because we always think of the younger son in relation to the dad, the older son in relation to the dad, which is the main point. But to think older son to younger son uh, and that tension. I, yeah, like you said, I think there's a lot of people out there uh, where this isn't uh, necessarily a comfortable deal having to be with their family or extended for whoever's in their house. And uh, I like Daniel Yang's uh, uh hope at the end there that may we become stronger families out of this situation. That would be a real good use of this time that, as we said, uh, whether we like it or not has been gifted to us and, and, you know, we could be praying towards that end. Yeah. And I I just want to say too, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to record some audio to share with us and to share with our audience. Like I've been so blown away by the generosity of local leaders who have taken the time to, to speak directly uh, to our audience in this way. So, so grateful for you. So grateful for your ministry. Highly encourage you to check out Daniel Yang and the Send Institute. What they're doing is absolutely remarkable. Uh, coming up next, we're going to hear from David Kessler, who is one of the leading experts on dealing with death and grieving. And we're going to learn some wisdom from him. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get your podcast. We have so, so appreciated uh, being able to be with you all digitally through these unprecedented times, and this is not something at all that we take lightly in any way, shape, or form. And I heard uh, the a part of an interview uh, today, actually, with David Kessler, who's one of the most well-known experts and lecturers on death and grieving. And I just, I just thought his wisdom was so timely and so spot on. So I wanted to play a few minutes for our audience to just simply sit and listen. This might even be a segment to take some notes on because I think what he has to say is so spot on. So this for the next few minutes is going to be David Kessler, expert on grief and death. Here he is. It's interesting. What I'm hearing from people is, I woke up with this heavy sadness, or I was going to bed with this heavy sadness, or I just feel this heaviness. And really, when I hear what they're saying, they're describing grief. We are grieving the world we have now lost. Our normal life, our routines, seeing people, our work, everything has changed. I take it that a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. They're uncomfortable with the fact that they feel so disoriented. Do you agree with me? And if so, why would that be so? Why would we be so impatient with ourselves that we're feeling this? Well, we're, we're a society that always wants quick fixes. So we want this to be over quickly. And this is looking like our world has changed. And I think it's sinking into us that, Next week, the world's not going to go back to normal. In fact, that normal world is probably gone forever. And change is actually grief, and grief is usually a change we didn't want. This is clearly a change we didn't want. The same way we talk now about, do you remember before 9-11 what airports were like? 
I think we're going to have discussions about, do you remember what the world was like before the pandemic? Do you remember how we used to shake hands? Do you remember how we used to do this and that? I think we're seeing a loss of our world, and we're feeling the grief that goes along with that. I think there's something so important. We had to do this with 9-11, but it was a moment that we could see. We don't even know how long this moment is going to last. But I think if we acknowledge this is grief, this is loss, we haven't dealt with a lot of people dying yet, and I hope we don't. My guess is that's coming. But right now, our world as we knew it has died, and we're feeling the sadness. So if we name it, it allows us to be sad, to cry, to feel those emotions, because in a strange way, our emotions need motion. We need to feel them. Suppressing them isn't going to work. Grief is about being with someone, not doing with them. And we have to look at it differently to find creative ways. So we are having to say things like, I'm going to the grocery store. I bought some fruit and some vegetables and I left it at your door for you. We're not able to bring the food in, but we still can leave it for people. As you mentioned, for the first time in our history, We've had so many tragedies, but we've never had tragedies that you cannot have a funeral and memorial. That is something we've never had to deal with. So people have had tremendous losses and are completely isolated. And I'm encouraging people to have virtual funerals if they need for now, because I'm afraid we are going to see a lot of loss. And there is something about a death that it needs to be marked when it happens. If we're all brutally sad right now that our aunt has died, this week is the moment we should have that virtual funerals. I would never have suggested that in my life, but that is the world we're in today. The next thing to do is to stay in the present moment. The reason why this is so important is we have what we call anticipatory grief. That's the anxiety of the future. We begin to picture everyone we know sick. We begin to picture uh, people around us possibly dying, and we see horrible image of the future. And we have to bring ourselves back into the moment and go, we're healthy now. We're safe. We've got enough food. Everything's okay in this moment. The next tip is to understand what you have control over and what you don't. And take control over, I can stay six feet from people. I can wash my hands. I can use sanitizer. I can stay at home, absolutely, unless it's, you know, very, very essential. That's what we can take. If your neighbor isn't doing it, then you just need to find your control and stay away from your neighbor. This is really a time for us to truly become a community. You know, my, my, uh, my street that I live on, we all, for the first time, were on a text together. Does anyone have extra toilet paper? Oh, I know there's an elderly person in that house. Let's go knock on their door and step back six feet, but make sure they have what they need. This is a moment to truly become our brothers and sisters keeper. I have the privilege of 
spending time and working with Mother Teresa. And one of the things she was asked once about the poverty in her country. And she said, you know, sometimes in America, you have a poverty worse than ours. She said, in our country, if someone has one banana, they share it with everyone. So many people in your country have so many bananas, they won't share any of them. This is a moment for us to share what we have. The sixth stage, I believe, is meaning. So many people know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages that I was privileged to work with her on. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. They're not linear. They're not five easy steps. Our grief is as unique as our fingerprint. There's no map for grief. Everyone does it differently. And Elizabeth would have told you that herself had she been here. And as you mentioned, my younger son died a few years ago, David. And I found acceptance wasn't enough. I needed more. And that more for me was how can I make meaning? And so the book is Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. I believe after this, when this is over, when this subsides, we're going to go back and we're going to look and go, what is the meaning? What can we learn from that? What post-traumatic growth can we find? My hope is that we do this in a way, compassionately, lovingly, where we come out with post-traumatic growth and not post-traumatic stress, and that will be the meaning. Being a grief specialist for decades, I had thought my losses were long behind me. I had gotten into this work because of my mother dying while there was one of the first mass shootings in the U.S. So coming from such a traumatic childhood, I thought, that's all behind me. There was no part of me that was prepared for my son to die unexpectedly. And it really reminded me of how painful grief can be. I wanted to write a note to every parent I've ever counseled saying I had no idea how bad the pain was. But I knew for all of us, we can't let people die and not find something honorable to bring forth to the future about them. And that was the meaning. You know, my son in kindergarten, and he died at 21 years old, when he was in kindergarten, they gave out little trophies and awards for everyone, as we do. And he got an award for being um, the most likely to become a helper. Hmm. David never got to become a helper in his life, but in his death now with the new book and my work, he is helping so many people around the world he will never get to meet. And that's my meaning in his honor. The worst loss is yours. If your teenager is suddenly out of school, that is their worst loss. So we have to recognize these are losses for each of us. The other thing as we judge our neighbor, our friend, our coworker, to remember, oh, I've made mistakes too. And the third thing, and this is a really, this really guides my life. Everyone is fighting battles you know nothing about. We get into arguments with people and later we find out their wife was leaving them. Something horrible was happening. They had an ill child. You don't see the full picture in anyone, sometimes even our spouses. Everyone's struggling in ways we don't always understand. So we should try to be kind. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkin here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about bigger churches helping smaller churches. We're going to talk about consumer Christianity and a book that may surprise you is on the rise. This is The Common Good. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, you can. We make it very easy, almost Simple. too easy, yeah. almost yeah. desperately easy, like we want to be found. It's so like go those, to Facebook. It's like those little Easter egg hunts, right? Where the, you like, the eggs are just right out there in the middle of the lawn. It's that easy. Sure. Yeah, we're like that. What, <laughs> what a timely comparison. It this was. Yes, yes. Uh, you just type in the Common Good Radio Show, and there we are. That's where we post all of our articles. You can also make suggestions via the messenger. So we, we really do read those, believe it or not. So if you have <laughs> ideas for an article or an angle or even an interview, uh, we would happily, happily hear from you. You can send us a message there. You can go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, some of you have been listening and you're like, I'm not going to do it. And maybe this is the time you hear me say, would you please subscribe, rate, review? That would help us out so much. I also think, Brian, can they just ask Alexa? <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get one of my kids on later this week and they're going to tell you whether you can or not. How's that sound? No, I'm not giving up until you verify. You're <laughs> in your you're literally quarantined in the house where Alexa is. Yes, that's true. <laughs> when we're done with the show, just go walk to Alexa and ask her. Yeah. I'm going to do that today. Okay. Yep. Right. It's a beautiful day outside. I'm going to, I'm going to make all things right. I'm sure you are. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I mentioned it's an article out of religion news and it's about larger churches urged urge to help small ones survive during the pandemic. We're going to talk about that in a second, but Brian first is going to talk about something that the station is doing that we both think is really cool. Yeah, we're excited about this because during the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that there's a lot of businesses that have had to close their doors or even just reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. So here's the best part. It's totally free. We want to do this for you. There's no catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. I feel like your slash felt really aggressive. Like it was. People need to know there's got to be a slash in there. It doesn't work. You were attacking them with the karate chop is what I picked. Slash open for business. Slashing prices. Okay. So this is uh, (laughs) out of religionnews.com. 
And uh, the headline reads, larger churches urged to help smaller ones survive during a pandemic. Here's how the article starts. National Christian groups are urging larger and more stable churches to financially help small churches that could potentially close in their communities due to a steep decline in offerings in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Through the Churches Helping Churches initiative, a relief fund has been set up to provide $3,000 grants to churches at risk of closing in the next three months due to a decrease in financial giving. The initiative is led by the AND campaign with support from other organizations like National Latino Evangelical Coalition and the Pine Tops Foundation. Organizers hope to raise at least $500,000 in April uh, through help from Christian donors, foundations, and large churches. More than 20 donors have already contributed more than $160,000. The National Christian Foundation will be administering the grants. So I'll stop there and just sort of get your read so far on this idea, this premise. Oh, I think it's awesome because I do think all churches, like all businesses are worried in this season. Um, But you think about those uh, really small churches, maybe rural churches or um, not even rural churches, just but uh, that maybe have one staff member, maybe just two staff members. And, you know, that statistics say they run probably on much more of a razor thin um, uh, budget in terms of like it doesn't take much for that to be catastrophic for them. And so this is an organization going, hey, on the front end of this. We want to gather organizations and other churches that can help and kind of funnel money to some of these uh, smaller churches uh, so that they can survive. All of us, all of us pastors know that the coming months, the month we've just gone through in the coming months, there is likely to be a decrease in giving because people aren't in the church physically. And that does make a difference for some, but also other, you know, it's, uh, societal. All of us are having money problems, businesses and what whatnot. Uh, and so uh, money for churches is going to become really tight. And so other churches coming together and other organizations coming together uh, to help bolster the uh, the chances for some of these small churches to make it, I think is wonderful. And, uh, and it's, as you read further on, uh, to qualify, churches must be uh, registered as religious nonprofits, uh, but also they're looking for churches that are between 25 and 150 members in size in low-income communities and in urban areas that have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 economic shutdown. Uh, rural churches in low-income communities will also be considered. So I also like that they've got very um, defined criteria here, trying to make sure that those churches that are most likely going to struggle because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, are able to get these funds. I think this is wonderful. So the guy that's the president of the AND campaign, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Justin. It looks like Gaboni. Justin Gaboni, he said, this is no strings attached. And he goes on to say, a lot of these communities are dependent on these smaller churches. Uh, I think that is such an important thing to keep in mind. It's not just these churches that are in need of support, but it's actually these communities that are in need of these churches. Like that is such a, an easy dichotomy to forget or miss. Sometimes I think out in the suburbs, it's, it is a, a bit of a different environment, he um, says, on average, churches with weekly attendance of 50 or fewer people generated an annual income of $45,000, according to 2015 data from the faith communities. And a new Barna survey that included 434 Protestant senior and executive pastors found that nearly eight in 10 said financial giving was down, with nearly half reporting it is down significantly. So, 
even heading into this pandemic, a lot of churches were struggling as it was. And I think that this is right now in this moment, an opportunity for what we would call the ecumenism of the church to really yeah. be solidified the unity of the church. They're like, Hey, uh, our brothers and sisters down the road, they might be of a different denomination. They might disagree on certain points of doctrine, but like right now we know that the community is better with them here. Yeah. So us as the church, we're going to actually put our money where our mouth is and come alongside them to help them stay afloat in these sort of unthinkable times. I don't, I, it's hard for me to imagine a more ecumenical move yes. that the church, big C church can make right now to better help care for the church. I, I just think this is, this is remarkable. And if you're listening, by the way, and you're interested, you can uh, apply at churchrelief.org. Mm-hmm. That's churchrelief.org. If you're listening and you're a pastor, you work at a church, you go to a church. Uh, I cannot encourage you enough to check this initiative out. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I think you frame that well. And, and I do think, the headline uh, is a little bit misleading where it says larger churches urge to help. Well, larger churches are just part of this initiative, right, right? right? Individuals can do this, larger churches, but also nonprofit, anybody can give to this. And because, um, you know, a church like your, yours, which is really large, you guys are still feeling this in just different ways, right? But oh, you're going to sure. feel this yeah. as well. My kind of medium-sized church is going to feel this. Like we're all feeling it. Uh, but I do think, uh, recognizing that some of these smaller churches are the most at risk of not making it uh, kind of raises the urgency of let's figure out a way to help them. And uh, so I think this is wonderful and it's a way for churches to connect. I think one of the weird, strange things or one of the interesting things when this is all said and done, whatever new normal looks like for churches is going to be, uh, are there going to be churches combining? Are there going to be churches kind of more connected? Are there going to be churches trying to help other people stay open? I think there's a, there's more that's going to come out of this that hopefully the church is more connected than it's been in the past. Yeah. I, and I hope not even just connected, but like with some level of relational equity, you know, I feel yeah. like sometimes in this age of connectedness, what we mean by that is like, yeah, yeah, I have their email or You're right, right, right. we invite them to the annual prayer thing, which is good. Keep doing that. But yep. I hope that when we come out of this, there is a deeper like love and affection, like John 17 type unity among churches that don't need to be uniform, uniform, and uniformity are the same thing. Like right. there's still the rich diversity of theological expressions and governance and all of that. But I I'm, I'm with you. I, I really do. I hope and pray that there is an ecumenism, a unity, uh, the kind that Jesus prayed for in John 17 that we see coming out of this and that not just the churches are, you know, stronger because of it, but that our communities see that. Cause I think that's, I think you're right. I think the time is now yes. We're coming up next. Here's the headline. Social distancing from church is an act of love, not fear. That's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi everyone. Just wanted to change it up a little bit. Welcome back to the common good. Now I'm speaking with the Southern drawl and I it can't, always comes out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't pull out of it. You ever start speaking in an accent and you can't like snap out of it. Is that just me? It's Is just you. A- I'm, I'm really bad at accents. So I don't, so I don't tend to go to them. So oh, I'm not good at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't mistake me. I, I'm not saying I have a talent for this. I just get stuck in them and then I can't, I can't pull out of it. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? If you want to find us on Facebook, you can do that. The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. Even sometimes articles we don't talk about. We just don't have time for. But there's always 
great lively discussion there from people all, all over the world. You can also send us a message there if you have ideas for the show. We would love for this show to serve you well. So we really do mean that. This is a, a privilege that Brian and I don't take lightly. And if there's stuff that you'd love for us to tackle or to highlight or to address, we would love to do that. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And this is a conversation, a topic in particular that's come up a number of times just in the last two weeks. The idea of social distancing, should people still be going to church? Is it, a, uh, is it an act of faith and courage to keep meeting or is it an act of love not to be meeting? Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, a word from Thrivent. A couple of things. I love Thrivent. I've been a Thrivent member for almost a decade. Uh, they're a great organization, Fortune 500, not-for-profit. They've been around over 100 years. Uh, Thriving.com is where you can go to learn more just about the organization. But if you're looking for a career change, I know a lot of people are, just go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or call 630-598-2128 and uh, just have a conversation with another human. That would be nice in the midst yeah. of <laughs> yeah. house arrest and quarantining. Just call them up and say, hey, I just, I just wanted to chat. Either way. It's a great organization, and if you're looking for a job change, they might be the perfect fit. Okay, so social distancing from church. Is it an act of love or an act of fear? What do you think, Brian? I really appreciate this article. You know, I've gone in kind of strong on this. Um, you have, yeah. And it's, it's only increasing with uh, what there's still 14 states uh, who have not uh, mandated that churches stop meeting. Uh, and now you start to see, and I always want to caveat this with, and I've seen some Twitter people like kind of upset about this. I always want to caveat this with 99.99 you know, of the churches out there are doing this great. They're, uh, they're not meeting. They're looking for ways to be creative. They're looking for ways to serve the community. And it's kind of those outliers that get the media attention. So I get that. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, who was it? Uh, Westboro Baptist back in the day, right? Like they're going to get the headlines. Right. Unfortunately. Um, Yes, but at Relevant, they kind of wrote on this this week. So I just want to read the beginning of it because I think it frames it well. Uh, the author writes, sacrifice, substitution. The ultimate model of substitution and sacrifice was Christ who gave his life so that we might live. We also might think of soldiers, first responders, and others who step into danger to protect and serve. But what if laying down your life didn't always look like physical death? What if it looked like dying to self? Religious leaders and religious political figures have in recent days suggested that to suspend in-person worship services and Bible studies to stay home from work or school or do anything other than resume a normal life indicates a lack of faith. And then the author writes, they are wrong, <laughs> uh. says this is not the same situation as a group of Christians who meet despite the risk, the risk of death or persecution, knowing that if they are imprisoned or killed, that their faith and courage would shine light in a dark world. Though they are afraid they, uh, to me, though they are afraid they meet, uh, they, they continue to meet. This isn't Daniel praying openly and without regard for his physical risk to himself, nor is a church bodily isolating themselves the same as the disciples who hid in the upper room after Jesus's crucifixion. This is something entirely uh, different. Let me go to the end of this and then get what you think here. Uh, particularly in an age of technology where there is no shortage of the ability to see, talk, share, and be together while physically separated, it is not only unwise, but it is sinful to knowingly and deliberately put the lives of others at risk. It is not fear that keeps us out of the churches and away from corporate worship during this pandemic. It is love. 
And I think that is so well written by her. Her name is Susan Peak. Um, don't you think she, I, I, not to put words in your mouth, but I, don't you think she kind of hits the nail on the head there? Well, I, I, uh, I would actually, I would love to weigh in on that last part because my guess is most of the people that are refusing to self-isolate would disagree that they're actually putting anyone else in danger. Like part of me in every interview that I've seen with the people that are leaving the church and the, you know, the, the journalist is interviewing them with a boom microphone to stay away from them. And the lady, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And they're saying, yeah, but aren't you afraid though, that you you might infect somebody else out there? And they're like, no, they're, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. So I'm not going to get affected. So therefore I'm not a threat to anybody else. I don't, I don't think that any of them, the ones that are refusing to, to listen to the suggestions of the government and scientists and doctors, I, I don't think they would actually believe that they are in any way endangering anyone else like that. That for me, I think is part of where the problem lies. I think if they actually saw it as a harm and they were continuing to do this, then they would say, yeah, I totally agree with you. That would be sinful, but because I'm not a danger, because I'm not a threat, uh, there's no problem here. Yeah. And that's the frustration about there is a, I don't know if wing is the right word or a sect of our culture. And a lot of times it's tied into, uh, some form of Christianity that, that just wants to say, I won't believe anything that either scientists or the media say. Uh, and I think that's what you're getting at there because that's, that's a real struggle for us because uh, yeah, if you don't believe that you could get sick or others, even though every medical professional and every doctor and even every politician is telling, you know, that's a bad thing to be in a group setting like this right now. But not every, but not every politician is saying that though. That's why there's so many States that still haven't actually mandated this. Right. Yeah, I think there's that's probably true. There's other reasons I think they're not mandating it. Part of it is fear of making those people angry. Um, sure. but those people meaning Christians? the ones the ones who are like, yeah, we're not going to, you know, uh, so there are people who don't believe that they're going to make other people sick. But then you reference the lady. It's become somewhat viral who got interviewed. Not, driving viral, into her. not viral in that way. Oh, sorry. That was a bad use of terms. <laughs> uh, Internet viral. How's that sound? Sure. Uh, where uh, she was interviewed going in and she said, I'm safe because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, which has all sorts of theological problems. Um, and I did find it humorous that she was wearing a seatbelt at the time that she said that. Um, huh. But, but this, uh, you know what, what I have been frustrated by are the people who have framed this on social media or in articles going that this is a religious Liberty issue. Those are the ones that more I more struggle with. Like the government can't stop us from meeting. So therefore we're going to meet and not care what it does. I think there are people still who aren't, who might say, yeah, we might get sick, but it still shouldn't stop us from going to church. So it's more of like a defiance than is what you're saying. Feels like it. And it quite frankly is also a misunderstanding of what the church is. Like we have to be at this building. God has told us we must gather together and, you know, I, I find that frustrating. And, that, and that's why I think that this message of uh, the loving thing to do, it's not the fearful thing to do to stay away from our churches right now. Uh, it's the loving thing to do because, uh, you know what, that's, it's the same thing that w- this is why we don't, shouldn't be going to beaches. This is why our schools aren't meeting right now. This is why all the sports games are canceled right now. Um, 
it is out of care of not just for ourselves, but for other people. And it's, it frustrates me to see the churches, again, a very small fraction of them, but it frustrates me to see often the churches are the, some churches are the ones leading the crusade of like, nope, we should still be able to be together. Yeah, right. Well, let me, let me just read the part in closing that you, uh, you left out that I think it's really good. Um, she said, when the church answers the call of social distancing, they are not doing so out of fear or lack of faith. They do it out of what the scripture calls power, love, and of sound mind. God has given us the power to overcome our fear through faith. This power is what makes martyrs, yes, but it is not the only thing we were given. We were also given the gift of love, the sort of self-sacrificing love that God gives to us. Do we love our neighbors enough to, rather than dying for them, die to ourselves for them? Do we love them enough to protect the unsaved, the vulnerable? Do we love others enough to shift how we worship, where we pray, and with whom we share our time? And then lastly, in addition to power and love, God gave us the reason of a sound mind, the gift of discernment and judgment, if only we would use it. That to me is maybe... That's great. My favorite part of that article and uh, our, our thanks to Susan. I just think the the article is so timely and such an important read. And we know that it'll be controversial. So it's on our Facebook page. Yep. If you want to weigh in, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Where, What angle or perspective are you coming at it from? Uh, we would love for this to be a place where we can all kind of talk about these things together. Well, coming up next, I want to talk about what this coronavirus could mean for what some have called consumer Christianity. That's coming up next here in The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. More pointedly, Brian and Ian's basements. That, no, I'm in my bedroom. I'm in my bedroom. Oh, that's uncomfortable. No, I'm looking out the window. It's nice. It's a nice setup I've made for myself up here. <laughs> I did not know to this moment that you were doing the show from your bedroom. I've told you this already. Yeah. Yeah, I probably just wasn't listening. I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. Is there? A, does it change the dynamic at all? Like when you go to sleep, you're like, oh boy, this is also where I do a radio show. Or I'm back in my recording studio, my pastor's study and everything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at you, multi-purpose. A real renaissance man. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's what you need to know. First, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, have discussions. You can send us messages. You can also find us at 1160hope.com. Plus, we're podcasted, so if you wouldn't mind... I mean, I don't even know if people realize how much this helps us out. Whatever podcast app you're using, if you find the common good and you'll see the little green image there, if you subscribe and then rate and then review, an angel gets his wings. You know? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it's, it. It's true. That's, that's science right there, uh, as best I can tell. But uh, we really do appreciate all of that. We've said it a whole lot, especially these last couple of weeks. Uh, Brian and I feel completely humbled and honored to have this platform at all. And uh, we don't take that responsibility lightly. So if there's any way that we could make the show better or tackle topics that you would like to hear about, please let us know because uh, we would love to serve you in that way. Um, this article is super fascinating to me because it's something that you and I have kind of danced around a little bit. Yeah. But we've not really kind of gone toe to toe with this idea quite this way. And the headline simply says coronavirus could kill consumer Christianity. What's going on here? Yeah. Let me read it by Brett McCracken. He says uh, one of the potential positive effects of COVID-19 on Christianity is that the epidemic is likely to kill off consumer Christianity, at least in the short term. Hmm. And while there's certainly plenty to lament about how the crisis is wrecking lives, economies and unraveling all the world's plans in stunningly rapid fashion, the virus's attack on comfortable Christianity could be something we eventually celebrate. And then he goes into three ways. Let me ask you this question before we jump into the three. Uh, 
you know, as pastors, we throw that term around a lot. Well, how would you define for somebody consumer or comfortable Christianity? Like, what would you even say he's kind of uh, railing against here? I think, and then, you know, given the source, there's going to be a particular theological angle that he's coming from that is, you know, you can maybe expect a little bit. But I think, to summarize, you think about how you consume anything else. You know, if you're consuming media or you're consuming fast food, the, the goal is to simply receive something to your benefit or to your liking or to your choosing. Uh, consumer Christianity, I think, also carries with it a certain level of selectivity, like, oh, I like this preaching, but I like this music, or I like, the, yeah. you know, it's the, sort of a uh, cafeteria lunch lady style selecting of, you know, everything that I need to have in a, in a church community. But yeah, I think the, the consumer piece tends to be the highest elevation of what do I get out of this? Which yeah. we know the message of Jesus uh, in a lot of ways is quite opposite of that. Uh, Jesus who emptied himself, became an obedient servant, even to death on a cross. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, experience something, get something out of a church. I mean, I'm not saying right. asking that question is always bad or wrong or evil, but if it's the only question you're asking, what do I get out of this? Then you're, you're probably in danger of some consumer Christianity. That's well put. That's really good. And going along with consumer Christianity, kind of the same metaphor, right? Is church shopping. That's something we've created in the last uh, generation or so. And so I think that isn't always wrong. Like I get finding the right fit for your family and wanting to find something that has something for your kids or what, like I totally understand all of that. Yes. It's just, I think he's getting at more just the consumeristic um, just bent in general towards Christianity. And so he's going to go three ways that COVID-19 specifically uh, he says is killing consumer Christianity. So let's work through these three Uh, Again, you can find this article on our Facebook page, the Gospel Coalition article here. Number one, stripping church of excess. There will be no Insta-friendly photo booths, polished musical programs, or pastel-colored bounce houses at church this Easter. Uh, Cadbury egg giveaways and he has risen latte art will be absent. Uh, Lavish children's ministry playgrounds. None of it will be there to entice seekers or twice annual churchgoers. Months of planning for the most creative, attractive Easter service in town have been thwarted. Pastors everywhere are likely depressed at this turn of events, but they shouldn't be. Why? Because coronavirus has rapidly taken away the excesses of church, all the bells and whistles. What remains are bare essentials. Jesus, the word, community, prayer, singing. What remains is the reality that the church can never be vanquished. Mm. We are Christ's body and will live eternally with him. Things are suddenly Spartan in how we do church, but what we are remains as vibrant as ever. And so I, I, I really like what he says there, although I do think we do need to point out all the stuff he said at the beginning. There's nothing wrong with those things. Right. There's nothing inherently wrong with trying to attract people or doing stuff for kids or having fun or whatever else it might be. Uh, but I do like his point that when we lose the ability to do that, and we're not talking about it as right or wrong, but when it's just not possible, it does kind of get us down to kind of uh, the brass tacks and the the fundamentals that he's talking about. Well, and he, you know, quotes a, a tweet from Duke Kwan a little later, 
who said, what if God and his strange providence is downshifting the American church into a mode of simplicity, stripped of non-essentials, renewed in its fundamental identity as the people of God? On one hand, I get a little tired of sort of the railing on, yep. oh, how dare they? They have two guitars or lights or, you know, that, that can be easy to rail on. On the other hand, though, I think he, I think he makes a point. And I think uh, in times like this, you know, when you talk about necessity being the mother of invention, there yep. might be some real growth that comes out of this. I don't know yet that I'm at a place of celebrating what those things could be, especially this week. It feels so heavy, especially what we heard from uh U.S. surgeon general. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't know that I'm there yet to like yeah. look forward to like, man, I can't wait to see how the church has improved in the light of all of this. But uh, I can see where he's coming from. Number two, he says, blowing up the notion of Sunday only faith. For Sunday only or Sunday mostly Christians whose faith is largely defined by a few hours on Sunday mornings, COVID-19 is a game changer. In a season when the Sunday experience has become drastically reduced to essentially a YouTube video or Zoom meeting, an absolutely temporary and less than ideal compromise, Christians are forced to consider what faith looks like when, quote, going to church isn't part of it. This crisis is a great opportunity for believers to think afresh about what it means to be distinctly Christian every day of the week in every aspect of life. What does it look like to be noticeably Christian in a world where the previously most conspicuous thing about the faith identity going to church is gone? Further, demand has never been greater for Christians to be Christian in more than just Sunday ways. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that is interesting. Does it mean that when we go back to, and I use air quotes like we've been doing all this whole time, uh, go back to normal, that Sunday doesn't become a big deal and, and a great cause of celebration, but this not being Sunday only, I think is, is a huge deal right now. Yeah. Uh, number three, challenging Christians to give without getting. Mm. One of the major concerns for Christians and pastors in this unexpected season is a decrease in congregational giving for consumer Christians, especially giving might become hard to stomach when there's nothing they're getting in return. Mm. No polished worship service and top-notch youth group for the kids, no donuts, coffee, or uplifting music, only a makeshift service on a computer screen. But if churchgoers stop giving because of this transactional expectation, it will simply expose them to be consumer Christians, giving only because they get. But that's uh, not how it should go, is it? Uh, no, this less than ideal new normal for church shouldn't be an excuse to stop giving just because you're not being served as well as you might have been a few months ago. Church is not about consumers being served. It's about Christians serving one another and sacrificially building up the body, even when it's costly inconvenient and uncomfortable. I think that's a, that's a really interesting one. I think it's a good charge too. In general, like, I don't know if you're surprised by any of this, but he said right before your number three, he says, we can all pray that one of the long-term results of this crisis will be the renewed passion for Christ followers to live and love like him in their neighborhoods, yeah. workplaces and quarantine communities everywhere, seven days a week. I, that actually pretty well articulates what a lot of my, my prayer has been. Yeah. Um, but I also, I want to be careful to not too quickly jump, jump over like what it looks like for us to grieve well, like to simply be present in the midst of grief, I think is, is also just as important and just as close to the heart of Jesus. And yeah, yeah that for me is something, at least I'm preaching to myself there that I, I want to, yeah. my tendency is to say, man, I can't wait to see the result of all of this and the way the church has grown. And, the, and I think that there's, some wisdom in that, but I think it's a, it's like exactly what you were saying earlier. It's an already not yet. It is also being present to the grief and the anguish that so many of us are experiencing right here. And now I think that's, 
equally as important. Absolutely. He ends by saying, in the wake of this crisis, I pray we'll be a more resilient and durable church, strengthened Mm -hmm. in the fires of discomfort and fortified by renewed dependence on Jesus Christ, our only comfort in life and death. That is something that we should all be praying for. Yeah, 100%. Well, in the right turns of all right turns, (laughs) coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we do each and every day with a little bit of interweb insanity, hopefully to bring a little bit of life and laughter to your day. Stories we have not heard, sound effects, nope, stories we have not read, sound effects we have not heard that I can speak. Uh, Either way, that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the Right Reverend Dr. Admiral Brian Fromm. Mm-hmm. It's honorary. The doctorate's honorary. It's right? honorary, yes. <laughs> is, that, is that hanging in your bedroom as well? It would be if I had one, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Actually, I would I just carry I would just carry it. it around with me like a credential. I would just carry it with me. I'd get a picture of it tattooed on my forehead. That's what I would do. <laughs> um, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post our articles and have conversation. You can send us a message. We're also at 1160hope.com. And we're podcasted wherever it is you get fine podcasts. And uh, any level of interaction there really does help us out a whole lot. If you've been with the show for any length of time, you know that Brian and I regularly make the foolish choice to allow ourselves to be subjected to a segment called Interweb Insanity. It's stories that we have not read yet, sound effects that we have not heard. We read them sight unseen with fear in our voice and trembling in our hands. Brian from why don't you kick us off? Of course we're starting in Florida. Why wouldn't we? A woman assaulted man with SpaghettiOs. Sure. Great way to start. A Florida woman is facing a felony domestic battery charge after allegedly clobbering a man with a can of SpaghettiOs, a blow that left the victim with a large laceration on his head. Oh, boy. According to an arrest affidavit, the victim told police that after arriving home from the hospital Saturday afternoon, he got into a verbal argument with Shade Miranda. The victim and Miranda were sharing a room at a travel-in motel in Fort Pierce. The affidavit released by police has the victim's name redacted. Uh, The man told cops that he sought... Uh, to de-escalate the situation by gathering some of his belongings and stepping outside the room where he ended up sitting in a lawn chair. Miranda Klopp's alleged began striking the victim with the SpaghettiOs while he was still inside the room. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs! The way you were saying Miranda, is not is she a character on Sex and the City? Is that... I never... I didn't watch Sex and the City, but I do I'm, think... I think I so. haven't either. Just something about how you were saying Miranda. I was like, man, I think he's saying... 
the Miranda the way they say it on the show. Anywho, <laughs> uh, out of Japan, robots replace Japanese students at graduation amid coronavirus. Oh my goodness, you people need to see this photo. It's literally these it's scary. rolling robots with iPad faces holding diplomas. Okay, spring graduation ceremonies in Japan have been canceled because of the coronavirus pandemic. But students at one school were able to attend remotely by controlling avatar robots while logged on at home. The robots, dubbed New Me by developer Anna Holdings, were dressed in graduation caps and gowns for the ceremony at the Business Breakthrough University in Tokyo. The robots, quote, faces were tablets that displayed the faces of the graduates who logged on at home and controlled the robots via their laptops. One by one, the robots motored toward the podium to receive their diplomas. School staff clapped and said congratulations as university president Kenshi Oma placed their diplomas on a rack mounted on the robot's midsection. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever. Again, if we could have fast-forwarded from just a little bit ago, uh, like, you know, a month or two ago, that would have been the craziest story we could have ever imagined right there. And now you're reading and you're thinking, like, that's a pretty smart idea. Not a bad idea. Uh, The next one's out of Georgia. Tyler Perry gives $21,000 tip to Atlanta restaurant servers. Way to go. Uh, I just lost it on my computer. I'm back. Hold (laughs) on. Technical difficulties. You want me to read it? I got it. A group of -of out-of-work servers at an Atlanta restaurant got the surprise of their life thanks to a huge tip from Tyler Perry. TMZ reports that the TV and movie mogul went to a Houston's restaurant on Northside Parkway Sunday and left a $500 tip for each of the restaurant's 42 servers. Whoa. Perry's a big fan of the chain and has been driving to the restaurant during the coronavirus pandemic to pick up food pretty frequently. In total, Perry tipped $21,000. Impressive. Most impressive. All right, that's a classy move. I'll give him that. Yes. All right, in local interweb insanity, Illinois, Chicago Animal Shelter officially out of adoptable dogs for first time. What? Chicago Animal Shelter has some great news to share in spite of ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Chicago Animal Care and Control says it has run out of adoptable dogs for the first time ever. The last two dogs were adopted over the weekend. The shelter thanked the community in a Facebook post for stepping up and adopting or fostering during the coronavirus pandemic. The lack of dogs likely won't last long, though. The shelter says they should have more available in the next few days. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. I know so many people who have gotten dogs during this. It, oh, really? Oh, so many people. Absolutely. Interesting. Last one's out of Missouri. Apartment residents use pulley system to retrieve pizza from driver. A pair of Missouri residents shared video of their creative way to interact with their pizza delivery driver and retrieve their food without leaving their second floor apartment. The video, <laughs> the video shows the residents lowering a box from the window of their apartment. The filmer and their roommate informed the driver that the box contains their payment and a tip and then asked the driver to place the pizza in the box to be raised to the window. Me and my roommate wanted pizza. We went online and saw the contactless way to get pizza. So we got a box with yarn, tied them together and hung the box with the money in it out the window and asked him to put the pizza in the box. Hail science! Well, Brian, I got to say, today's interweb insanity was surprisingly not dark. I, I think John's getting it now, and Keith, whoever's doing it, like, okay, in this time, let's be a little more uplifting. I think there, I think we're getting there. There was there were some feel good stories. I don't know about you, but I I feel good. I feel really good. Yeah, it's yeah, almost man, like Good yeah. News Network right there. We we oh, we got to bring them back. We'll have some good news tomorrow. Then either way, I hope that you go out 
where you already are enjoying this wonderful weather because it doesn't look like it's going to last, but I hope that you're enjoying it. Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're laughing.